Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Hi friends, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In just a moment, we are going to read verses 3 through 10. Now we're continuing on in our series, From Nothing to Everything. And if you missed last week, you can go back on our website, discoverfbc.org, and catch up on what you missed. But the basic idea behind this series is that we worship a God. We were created by a God who from nothing can make beautiful, wonderful things in this life. And last week, what we said is that this life is a gift. And today really is a continuation of that theme. And the letter is written from this guy named Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament, writing to this small, struggling community of believers. So let's begin by reading 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 10. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. You know, one of the things that I have learned in my time as a pastor is that words matter. And it is incredibly important to pay attention to individual words because one shift of a word, one movement of a comma can change the entire meaning behind what someone is saying. If you need a prime example of what I am talking about, let's just think for a moment about what it means to hear and what it means to listen. Because on the surface, hearing and listening are the same thing. But when you dig a little deeper, what you realize is that they couldn't be any more different. You see, we all hear. Most of us hear. We have the ability to receive sound into our ears. We all hear. But very few of us these days, I'm afraid, have the ability to listen to actually soak in what someone else is saying, to comprehend, and not only to comprehend, but to empathize, to listen to the other. In our political discourse, I think Republicans and Democrats, they hear, but they don't listen. I think the world would be a much better place if we would listen instead of just hear. On the surface, they sound the same, but in reality, they are very, very different. 
And if you pay attention to Paul's letter, he's really talking about something pretty similar. He uses two words that on the surface, they sound the same. But in reality, they are very, very different. What we just went through, you see these juxtapositions. We are beaten, and yet we are rejoicing. We are, uh, we are uh, poor, and yet we're rich. And there are these juxtapositions. We have nothing, and yet we possess everything. And it is pretty easy to, to, to compare these things and go, okay, nothing and everything beaten and alive, sorrowful, rejoicing. Okay, I get it. But there's one thing right at the very end that I want us to focus on this morning. It's the very last thing that Paul says in verse 10. We are poor, and yet we are making people rich. And then he says this, we have nothing and yet we possess everything. We have nothing and yet we possess everything. Hmm. Well, if you have something, then you possess it, right? That's what I would think. And the Greek word that is used for have is actually the same root as the word to own. So other translations have the, on the lips of Paul, we own nothing, and yet we possess everything. Now, I talked to a few friends this week, and I said, what's the difference between ownership and possession? And almost to a person, we all said, well, there's no difference. And on the surface, maybe that's right. But if you really want to get into the heart of what Paul is saying, when he uses that wonderful phrase, we own nothing, and yet we possess everything, then we need to understand, as hearing does not equal listening, owning does not mean possessing. The guiding theme for what we are going to talk about today is pretty simple. There is a fundamental difference between ownership and possession. There's a fundamental difference between ownership and possession. And Paul says we own nothing, and yet we possess everything. What does he mean? Well, what I want to say to you is that it is entirely possible to own something and yet not possess it. And on the flip side, that is also true that it is entirely possible that you can possess something and yet not own it at all. It is entirely possible that you can possess something or something can possess you, and yet you don't own it. What do I mean? Well, uh, a few weeks ago, I was laying in bed with Evie, and we were saying our prayers, and, and we were getting ready for bed, and, and all of a sudden, Evie turns, and she looks at me, and she says, Dad, I want you to know something. What is it? I love you more than the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Dad, I want you to know I love the whole world more than the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Dad, Jesus loves the whole world, and I do too. This little five-year-old looks at me, Dad, I love the world more than the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. And look, here's the deal. In our house, we have this great picture of Sarah and I 
sitting at the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, so she's seen it. She has, saw, she has looked at this big, beautiful tree that is put up in the Christmas season in New York City, and she said, Dad, I love you more than that tree and New York City. Now, friends, she doesn't own that tree. I don't own that tree. No one owns the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. But the reality is we can all possess it. When you visit that tree and when you stand in Rockefeller Center and you look at this big, beautiful tree filled with lights and goodness signifying that the Christmas season is here, if your stomach doesn't light up, then you aren't alive. You don't own the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, but you can possess it. And it can give you joy. And it can give you happiness And it can be a reminder that Jesus Christ is born on this great celebration that we call Christmas. And my daughter looked at me and she said, Dad, I love you more than the Christmas tree in New York City. See, she doesn't own it. And yet she possessed it because it's made an imprint on her soul. If you have ever heard someone that has been from America to a third world country on a mission trip, this is exactly the sort of thing that I'm talking about. It happens almost every single time that Americans or people from first world countries will get on their planes and they will go over to Africa or they will go into Asia to poor countries, down to South America, and they're going to go serve the poor. And they're going to go do good mission work. And so they've got all these great plans to go and make a difference in people's lives. And then what happens is that they come back from their mission trip. And almost every single time, you can count on the same thing happening. That when you encounter those folks as they come back from their trip, they say the same thing. I went down there thinking that I would make a difference in their lives, and yet they made such a difference in mine. Will, they are so poor, and yet they have this incredible spark in their eyes. Will, they have nothing at all, (laughs) and yet they seem so incredibly alive. You hear that so often with people that go on mission trips that, frankly, it is a cliché. And the reason it's a cliché, my friends, is because it is true. When people go into third world countries, when they go to places where people have nothing and yet they encounter those people who are truly alive, we should be waking up to the fundamental reality that there is a completely different way to live and it has absolutely nothing to do with ownership. We own nothing, Paul says, and yet we possess everything. There is an entirely different way to live that is filled with joy, and goodness, and hope, and it has nothing to do with ownership. It has nothing to do with having things. 
You see, Paul's writing this letter to a young church in Corinth. And guys, this was the definition of dysfunctional. Their church was divided between rich and poor, between the haves and the have-nots, between the Roman citizens and the slaves, between the women and the men. Their church was completely dysfunctional. And Paul is writing them this letter to offer an alternative way to live, to offer a genuine Christian way to live in the world, the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. And in this section in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he lays out what the true way of Jesus is to look like in the world. And what is fascinating to me is that there is balance, right? We suffer and yet we endure. We are beaten and yet we're not killed. We are persecuted, and yet we rejoice. We are poor, and yet we are making people rich in all the ways that really matter. And it has nothing to do with money. Friends, we have nothing, and yet we possess everything. The balance of the Christian life is so incredibly wonderful. It is so uh, life-giving, and it is articulated by Paul that if you want to live, if you want to live well, if you want to live with the joy that comes through following Jesus, who we confess to be the Christ, then it's not either you're happy all the time or you're sad all the time. It's not you're persecuted or you're thriving but it's a mixture of both, and we're poor. We are so poor, and yet we are making people rich in all the ways that really matter. We own nothing, and yet we possess everything. You could imagine seeing Paul who, who like those folks in third world countries that have nothing and yet their eyes are alive to the divine that is all around. We have nothing. We own nothing. And yet we possess everything. There is a better way to live, Paul is saying to the Christians at Corinth. There is a better way to live, Paul is saying to us. Now, I want to be incredibly important here. Uh, it's important for me to, to mention this, that I am not knocking ownership. I'm not saying to you that ownership doesn't matter. It is incredibly important, in fact, to own the basic necessities of life, to own the essentials, to have uh, water that is safe to drink, to have a roof over your head where you can lay down at night and be comfortable and safe. It's important to own clothes so that you can go out and live normally and well in the world. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that ownership isn't important. But I am saying to you that there is a fundamental distinction between ownership and possession, and it is incredibly important for us to understand it. Because we live in a culture, we live in a world that is absolutely obsessed with ownership. 
from the time you are a child until the time you die. We are indoctrinated that ownership is the most important thing. And so we continually ask questions like, how much money do you make? And what sort of clothes do you wear? And what sort of car is parked in your garage? What sort of retirement home are you going to buy? From the time we are children, we're indoctrinated with ownership. And if you have any doubt about the fact that that is true, I want you who have children to walk into your kid's playroom and look around because you will see, like I did recently, that we care a great deal about owning. And what Paul is saying to us is that it is one thing to own, and it's not bad, but it's something completely different to possess. Don't let it be lost on you, my friends, that we follow Jesus. We claim Him to be the Lord and Savior of the world, and this Jesus in one of the Gospels says to us that you can have life, abundant life, right here and right now. And that same Jesus owned absolutely nothing. Yeah, there's a distinction between owning and possessing. And Jesus, who owned nothing, and yet he possessed the divine energy, and he saw it all around him. And Jesus and Paul, all throughout the stories of our faith, are inviting us to live in a fundamentally different way that is filled with grace and joy, that is filled with love and hope. And it has nothing to do with ownership and everything to do with possessing. It has been absolutely fascinating for me to sit back over the course of the last six months since we've all been home in the pandemic and to watch people clearing out their homes because they're sitting at home basically all day long for, for a number of months. And people began to look around their houses and they saw we have so much junk. And there was a few month period where Salvation Army, where Goodwill, where organizations like that, they stopped taking donations. Because as we took stock of our lives, we realized that we have been obsessed with the accumulation of stuff and we just wanted to get rid of some of it. Yeah, it's been fascinating over the course of the past few months to recognize that in a culture that is obsessed with the accumulation, with the ownership of things, with the ownership of stuff, as we have gotten rid of so much, it seems to me that we might be waking up to a fundamental recognition that stuff doesn't equal soul. That stuff, my friends, doesn't 
equal soul. And just because you own something doesn't mean you possess it. And just because you don't own something doesn't mean that it can't bring you joy. Stuff doesn't equal soul. And Paul says we own nothing and yet we possess everything. It is entirely possible that if you have gotten married, you went down to the courthouse and you obtained a marriage license and you signed it and your wife signed it and you had to get a copy in order to get uh, your name changed on your uh, driver's license, social security number. If you've gotten married, you own a marriage license. And yet, even if you own a marriage license, it is entirely possible to not possess this divine reality that comes about when two lives are shared together. You can own a marriage license and not possess the beauty that is a husband and a wife. It is entirely possible that you own a Bible and yet you do not possess the living Word of God inside of your soul that brings life and love and goodness. <clears throat> I always find it funny when I go visit people in their homes. It hasn't happened here in Augusta. But when I would go visit people in previous churches in their homes and I walk in the door and there's this huge Bible and it is always open to some obscure passage that happens to be right in the middle. And the Bible has more dust on it than most anything else in the whole house. But they want people to know they own one of those Bibles. <laughs> yeah, you can own a Bible and yet not possess the Word of God that opens you up to the goodness of of God that is all around us. You own nothing, Paul says, and yet you can possess everything. One of my favorite writers when talking about this distinction between ownership and possession, he has this incredible definition for possession that I want to share with you, a definition that I try to let sink into my bones every single day. This writer says this, that possession is a largeness of spirit that inhales the goodness of life as you encounter it in all its vast diversity, depth, and variety. <laughs> Isn't that a great definition? Possession is a largeness of spirit that inhales the goodness of life that is all around us. And it has nothing to do with ownership. It has nothing to do with the rapid accumulation of stuff. No, Paul says, I own nothing and yet I possess everything. I want to make a further distinction. What I want to say to you is that ownership Ownership, when it sees someone else getting uh, abundance in their life, they say, I want that. Ownership looks at the celebrations in others' lives and it says, why can't I have some of that too? Ownership 
operates on a theology of scarcity that teaches there is only enough for so many people. And if you get yours, then I can't get mine. Ownership says there is only so much pie and I've got to get my share. And contrast ownership with possession. And possession says there is always enough joy to go around. And possession says when someone else gets goodness in their life, we can celebrate alongside of them. Ownership is about scarcity and possession is about abundance and goodness and joy and celebration. Ownership believes in scarcity. But possession believes in abundance. Yeah, we are so incredibly poor, Paul says. And yet, we are making people rich in all the ways that actually matter. I wonder, how do you approach the world? I wonder, how do you go about your days when you see other people having beautiful cars and homes? Is your gut impulse to celebrate alongside of them or is it to say, I want that? When you see that bride walking down the aisle, is your gut impulse to say, why can't that be me? And Paul invites us to move from a theology of scarcity that focuses on ownership and to move instead to a theology of abundance that celebrates the goodness in everyone's life. Because there is enough. There is always enough. And so that piece of artwork that you see in your friend's house You might not own it. I want you to possess it, to take the beauty of it and let it soak into the depths of your soul. You might not own it, my friends, but you can possess it. That story you heard from your grandfather that makes you belly laugh alongside of him, you might not own it, but you can possess it. And you can take the joy of that laughter and the beauty of that story and make it your own. There's a reason why the best storytellers tend to understand that you can own nothing and possess everything. Because your joy is my joy and my joy is your joy. Yeah. That music that you heard that inspires you to go and do something beautiful out in the world, you don't own it, but possess it and claim it as your own. In another letter, Paul wrote to this church at Philippi, and he says to them, anything that is good and true and right, think about those things. Set your mind on those things. Possess your mind on those things and take them into your life. Yeah, you might not own it, but you can possess it. 
I've got a challenge for you this week. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be easy, but for others of you, this is going to be completely outside of your comfort zone. Here's what I want you to do as you go throughout your week. I want you to find just one person. It can be a family member or a friend. It can be a coworker or maybe a next door neighbor. And I want you to focus on someone who has had beautiful things happening in their lives who is celebrating moments of joy and goodness. And here's what I want you to do. I simply want you to go and look at them and look them in the eye and just say these words. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. because we own nothing, and yet we can possess everything. Because in God's good world, Paul understood, beaten yet not killed, so poor and yet making others rich, owning nothing and yet possessing everything. In God's good world, Paul understood and Paul teaches us that, my friends, there is always more. So may you have joy. May you have grace. May you own nothing but possess the goodness, the grandeur, the love of God's good world. Because that, my friends, is really good news. Let's take a moment now and let's pray together. God, we're grateful for this morning, for the opportunity to come and to just be present with each other uh, while many of us are in our own homes. And so God, today, help us to make that move from a mentality of ownership to a life filled with possession. God, help us to see that there is so much good in the world and there is enough for all of us. So God, may we live abundantly. May we live knowing that the goodness is all around us and we don't have to own it and yet, God, we can possess it. God, everything you have given is ours. Help us to know, as Jesus said, we can have abundant life right here and right now, said by a man who owned nothing, yet he possessed everything. God, continue to be with us now as we worship. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.